Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Six seconds to go. Comes in to Tucker. Ewing sets a screen. The shot is off. Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket comes. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of Stricken Roll. I'm your host, Shrinkoo, in this episode of 54. I'm joined by uh, not a first-time guest, but a first time in a long time. His name is Tim. That is at Tim underscore NBA. You also may know him as Cranjus Mech Basketball. He's the founder of the Basketball Index. Cranjus, Tim, how are you doing on this uh, Sunday? I guess it's afternoon now, technically, since it's slightly afternoon. It, it is for you. I am here in Texas, and it is not quite there, but I got a nice workout in. I'm enjoying, you know, fives are good. You beat Boston. You beat the Knicks two games in a row. It's a good way to keep the moods up in Lakerland. Well, so, I'm uh, be happy to be here. That's good. You also need to start uh, preparing for your secession from the union. So, um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's, good, it's, good, it's good that you're getting to the gym. It's good that you're getting to the gym. Uh, all right, before we get started, I do have to make a few announcements. First, being that Strickland has an Instagram, check that out. That is at the Strickland on Instagram, posting all kinds of new content out there. The Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you maybe watch this podcast. Podcast. If you are and haven't done so already, please hit like, subscribe to the channel, leave us a comment. That'd be a huge help to us. The Strickland also has merchandise, which you can find on our website at www.strick.land. There's a link that'll take you to the merchandise store. You can find all kinds of cool stuff on there. T-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, coffee mugs, water bottles, you name it, we've got it. And finally, the Strickland also has a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland, the podcast that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to our news podcast, Takes from Obvious Bozos, hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, along with Zach Blatter. You also get access to the Strickland Discord where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to this pod right here, Strickland Roll, my solo pod right rant and rave with the next game more. You also get access to wonderful premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. And now you get access to Strictly NFL, which you guessed it is our podcast on the NFL. Uh, one more week of the season, uh, a Super Bowl that I sure as hell hate to watch, but I will be watching. Uh, but you can check that out. That is in our nine dollar tier. There are further tiers. There's a fifteen dollar tier, thirty dollar tier, fifty dollar tier, and a hundred dollar tier. This comes from a variety of additional benefits, like listening to pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly today. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. Well, none of this would be possible without Bet Online. It's playoff time. The road to Vegas goes through San Francisco, Baltimore. Bet Online is your number one source for for football playoff odds. Stats, trends, and lines with everything from point spreads to hundreds of player performance props. Head to Bet Online today. Stay updated on all the action. Bet Online, the game starts here. Um, all right. So the Knicks uh, did play the Lakers in a basketball game and they lost the basketball game. Uh, I, I think this was like a better win for the Lakers than a loss for the Knicks, just in the sense of like, yeah, I know that there was a lot of like Brunson was exposed. Uh, I, I would say that. Josh Hart was exposed. I would say Pressure Sachua might have been exposed. I think Isaiah Hartenstein was a little exposed. I don't know. I think there's a limit to how much you could push this winning streak with the injuries things that are going on. And they played a Lakers team that was one, motivated, two, focused. Uh, that was pretty, I mean, 
Doris and, and Breen were definitely on the, uh, this is an all-time great defensive quarter in the history of basketball performance. Um, but they locked in. They they forced the Knicks into making tough decisions in that fourth quarter, and they came away with the win. Um, but I, I guess I'll I – mean, look, I've talked about the Knicks. Uh, you might know this. This is a Knicks podcast. So people listening to this know enough about the Knicks. I am curious about the Lakers. They are now – is it 26 and 25 there now? Is that correct? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so – I don't like I the Lakers to me. I'm just like, I will watch them after like every year. I'm just like, I'll watch them after the trade deadline after LeBron does his LeBron thing and they make a couple of trades and the roster is what it is going into the playoffs. But like, I've obviously watched a little bit of the Lakers hard to avoid them. And I've also seen uh, a lot of kvetching about uh, about Darvin Ham and his rotations on my timeline from Lakers Twitter. I guess, like, look, 26 and 25, considering all of the various stuff they've endured, from the outside looking in, seems okay. Um, is that your takeaway when you just kind of, like, subtract, you know, forgetting the game-to-game -game analysis that you do do? Um, if you just look, zoom out and you're like, okay, if I if you told me before the season they'd be 26 and 25 and X, Y, Z things unfolded as they've unfolded, would you be okay with that? Or or do you still feel like, no, they've left some meat on the bone here? I think at a high level, as a Laker fan, you have to be upset with this record, considering that LeBron and AD have been very, very healthy this season, more healthy than normal. That's, you know, you, you expect to be better than this. When you start to layer on the context of, like, they haven't been injured all that much, but we have seen, like, a lot of the rotation players down. And the Lakers in those games have just not been a good basketball team. It makes a little bit more sense to me. And like, I'm understanding of it. I still think like they've had some big misses rotationally from a, you know, who's playing standpoint and in what lineups are they playing? They've had some huge misses with like them just forgetting to call plays for stretches of games. And <laughs> that being something that to me, like is just completely inexcusable and speaks to the fact that they like don't track stuff. They're just going off of vibes. It's a, you know, not a rookie coaching staff. They went through a lot of rookie mistakes last year, but this year they're still, I don't know, man. Like you have to like use data. You have to track things and be like, oh, you know, here are KPIs. Here are the key performance indicators. And it can be more than just like offensive rating, defensive rating, stuff like that. It should be like, how often are we calling plays? Taking a look at like, are we using guys in jobs that they're good at offensively and defensively? And there have been some major misses. The coaching staff, maybe 13, 14 games ago, started catching a lot of heat because of mostly because of rotations, because they tried they tried to start a lineup that had no point guards in it. Um, they had like Cam Reddish, Jared Vanderbilt, Torian Prince, LeBron, and AD, and it was just horrendous. Um, but since then, they have responded. They've been running better stuff. It, it seems like they're realizing what they need to fix, but they're still. Just, I don't know, on any given game, they might have a stupid game plan or forget to call plays. And it's a really annoying place to be in because it's hard to predict what this team will do. So I guess like I, I remember talking to you about this going back a couple of years when they still when Bogle was still the coach. Um, and you talked about then like they would not run plays for you were like it was ridiculous watching like you'd watch entire quarters where you're like, so we just did not actually run a set the entire quarter. Awesome. Um, is that like, so, I mean, look, obviously the roster has not stayed static, 
But obviously, there's LeBron there, AD is there, they've moved some pieces around. But like, do you think some of this is just a function of when LeBron's on the floor, coaches almost, I don't know whether it's intentional or not, I don't know if it's something that he's asking for or not, but they're almost like default to let LeBron cook and figure it out mode? Or do you think there's more to it than that? I think that's a really good question. And and for some context, like when back with those Vogel teams, like they were running offense way less than than Ham has. And this year and last year, I tracked every half court possession the team has had. So I know exactly what they're running, how often they're running it, you know, how often they're in five out versus four out one in, all that different stuff. And this year's been better than last year. Last year they were horrendous throughout most of the season, running stuff like 30, 40% of the time. And then towards the end of the season, a little bit before the trades that they made, um, and a lot of people attribute this to like they got Russell Westbrook out of there, but the climb actually started before that. But they got to the point where there was slow, steady growth. And by the end of the season, they were at like a 65% rate, which is pretty strong. Like I'm happy with that. And way, way better than what Vogel was doing this year. They started below that, hovering around 50%. And then there was a big, long stretch immediately after the in-season tournament that they just weren't running stuff all that often. It was back into like the low 40s. And that was bad. Um, Since, you know, past dozen games or so, it's been more up into like the 50, 55% range, which again, I'm happy with. Um, So overall, it's been better than this time last year, but it's worse than last year's peak. It's way better than the Vogel years. And in terms of do they run stuff more often, less often with AD out there or LeBron out there or both of them out there in the tracking that I've done, I can take a look at that. And I have seen like zero players where when they're on the court versus off the court, the play calling frequency really changes much. The types of stuff they will call, of course, changes. They'll tailor what they're doing to the personnel, but I'm not seeing a coaching staff decide to sit on their hands or as Lakers fans will tell you, stick their hands in their pockets um, and just watch (laughs) You know, watch LeBron James and his greatness because you think he can run the show. Like, he is not the coach. He is not the GM. If he were the GM, we wouldn't see him, like, subtweeting the GM and, you know, letting little things out here and there. If he were the coach, we wouldn't be seeing this sort of inconsistency. And there probably would be some sort of on-off split for him or for D'Lo or for AD or for Austin Reason. We just have not seen that yet. So, to me, this is 100% or close to 100% just on the coaching staff. They are the ones calling out the plays. You can watch the games and like watching live. I went to a game where they played in Dallas. I'm for a period of time. I was just staring at them. As soon as Dallas would score or the Lakers would get a stop, I'm looking at Darvin Ham. What are they doing? Are they calling stuff out? Are they not doing anything? And they were the ones calling plays out. He was the one calling plays out. So it's very much him. And part of me wonders if just like the delegation of responsibilities in game is just, he's doing too much. He's having to manage rotations, foul trouble, timeouts, you know, talking to players, talking to the refs and play calling and maybe, you know, sometimes things slip. And to me, that's a structural failure. And But like I see a staff that knows ball. They just need some some better infrastructure and internal systems to be more consistent. My question for you, and I'm like genuinely curious about this, because obviously, uh, like as Knicks fans, we have like our own, you know, inside jokes about our coaching staff. And it's like the the fun, the one that like I I always like to have fun with uh, was after we traded for OG and an OB, like, you know, so we win the first game that he plays and they asked him afterwards, you know, how he got up to speed. And he was like, oh, you'll, you know, like 
I was able to sit down with the coaching staff for the game and run through like the sets we're going to run. And everybody's joke was just like, Oh, like you just stand in the corner and watch like Brunson and Randall cook. Like, it's not like a huge, uh, you know, it's not like a huge thing you got to adapt to, but I mean, look, obviously any NBA playbook is, is bigger than that. But I guess my, my question is like, is it, is Darvin ham. And I guess, you know, by extension, I don't know if you do this for all coaches or what, what information you have available, but like, is Darvin Ham or Tibbs or because there are stretches where you watch Knicks games and you're like, are we going to run a set or are we just going to have like Brunson do Brunson things? And that's what it is. Um, like to what extent do coaches have to almost allow and give their players freedom to play? Not, I don't want to say without structure, but like without a set play call, because I know this is a reason that, you know, this is something that like, Kerr and and a lot of coaches. I mean, Phil Jackson. Go back to the triangle where it's like they don't want to run set plays. They want to have an infrastructure, and then based on you know the player's ability to read and react to what defenses are doing, you kind of flow off of that. Obviously, at times you still need set pay, play calls. Phil Jackson, hundred percent, made set play calls. Um, but like, what is the push and pull there for a coaching staff? Because obviously, like, I mean, I, I remember going back to when Dallas won the championship in twenty eleven. When they had first traded for Jason Kidd, there was a big adaptation for Rick Carlisle because if you remember Jason Kidd coming from that Nets team, he was like this run-and-gun point guard who played in the open floor mm -hmm. and you know you needed to like trust him, right? And that was a big thing for Carlisle that he struggled with, and he obviously did not have that rapport with the guy they traded for after, right? Rondo, he like fell out with him in three weeks. He's like, fuck this guy. I don't want I don't trust him for shit. Uh, but with Carl with Kidd, he talked about where like he had to take a step back. And that's kind of when Stotts came in, put in the flow offense, um, and they would flow into things. And, and it was more like, hey, these are sets that we'll just flow into. And at times, if need be, I can call it a play, but I'm not going to call it a play every time. So what is like the push and pull there for an NBA coaching staff of managing like you have these great players at your disposal. You don't want to like, you know, you don't want to kind of try to be a puppet master all the time. But you do need to pull the right strings. Like, what is the push and pull there, I guess, for, for a coaching staff, as far as you see it? Yeah, it's definitely a balance. And I think at every level of basketball, but certainly at the NBA level where players have so much more agency and it's easier for them to move around and it's easier for the ones on, you know, larger contracts to just have more sway. To me, like, an important piece of this, if I'm thinking, like, if I'm the coaching staff, like, how do I manage this? It, does the structure actually help? Does it work? Can I can I point at the evidence and say, we are better when we do this? We score more points. You, the point guard, are going to have more assists or more points. Like We are going to win more games. What, what truly are our goals this year? We have team goals, and then you may have individual goals. If we run plays, and if, you know, assuming they're good plays, assuming they fit the playbook, and it's not just, you know, if you've got a dynamic scoring point guard and you're running plays where he's just standing around and trying to like read off ball actions and make the right pass, you're not using him the right way. So if you can design actions and sets that work well for your guys and you can make a compelling case to them that, hey, if we're going to run plays, you know, 60% of the time instead of 30% of the time or 40% of the time, you are going to put up more numbers. You are going to grow your following. You are going to earn a better contract. You are going to get more all-star votes. We will win more games. Like to me, that has to be kind of the basis of it because otherwise it's just like, all right, well, we're calling plays because the coach wants to have control. And that's not, that doesn't, I don't care about that, right? Like that shouldn't be the basis of it. It should be 
because it helps us accomplish what we want to do. Assuming you can get that into place and then have some sort of two-way dialogue with some of those key players around, hey, here's what I'm thinking. You know, here's what we've drawn up among the coaching staff. Here's what we'd like to use this year. You know, does this get you into the positions you like to be to score? Because a lot of times when you're calling these actions, it's not, you know, we've got a great point guard that can run ball screens. We want to have him do something else. Like, no, it's to have him run ball screens, but then have some sort of, you know, stagger screen or pin down screen or flare screen or exit screen on the weak side, because it'll allow our ball screen on the strong side to be more effective because guys who would otherwise be help defenders guarding dudes who are just standing still, they now have another job to do. And so it's more about like finding what we would normally do. Like, are we going to be a post-up team, an ISO team, a pick and roll team, an off-ball screen team? What mix of that is meaningful to us and matches what we want to do? And then drawing up plays that just kind of elevate that more so than take guys out of what they want to do. So that to me is kind of, you know, how you would be building the playbook, getting that player alignment to what's in there. And then another key piece of it is understanding, you know, there are a section of plays in the playbook that should be built in because it's good at attacking switching. There should be a set of plays that are good at attacking drop coverage, a set of plays that are good at attacking blitzing. And I can tell you from watching yesterday, the Knicks need to do a better job there. Um, just with double teams or blitzes and ball screens, there are, you know, you can have guys who are weaker with three point shooting as, as the Knicks had, excuse me, had yesterday. And we saw on display, you know, Josh Hart get the ball and then not do anything with it. And then the Lakers are able to recover or he's looking to pass back to Brunson, who's double team. Like there are ways to make it a really simple numbers game of, you know, basketball is a draw help, beat help game. And if the defense is going to double team, you have the numbers advantage. And then it's just about like, spreading those guys out in the best way possible that where they still have some degree of gravity and like you should be able to get layups and open threes for guys who are good at layups and open threes. But anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm getting sidetracked. You should be able to have the playbook kind of figured out like we're going to run this against Houston because they switch more or against this team that drops a lot. We're going to go to these groups of plays. So if I'm working with the point guard or LeBron or whoever, you might say during a timeout or during pregame, hey, we want to go to, you know, these five plays a lot. Pick whatever you think makes the most sense in the moment, but this is what should work today. And then during the game, if the defense goes from drop to switching, then, you know, at a timeout, you're like, hey, you know what? Instead of running this, we're going to go run that instead. And again, you give them a menu, you let them pick from options. And I think that's the best way to have that sort of, you know, you're giving them choice, but at the same time, you're kind of putting the the bumpers up in the bowling alley so that they can't you know, try to do stuff that doesn't work. And assuming you've built that rapport, you're a good just manager of people and you're able to build relationships and then align them to understanding that running these plays is better for us. It's, I don't know, that's how I've seen it work really well at various levels. But if you don't establish that doing this is better for us, like the foundation of this house is not built well. And it's going to be really easy for you to have disagreements and it be more of a, you know, power struggle than a, you know, everybody moving in the same direction sort of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, to, to, to bring it back, uh, to the Lakers, um, LeBron obviously has, he's gone into some of his, uh, zero dark 30 LeBron cryptic, uh, message mode. Do you, do do you think that like, I, I personally, this is just me. I don't, I don't think he's like, I don't think he's angling to get. I, look, he's not going to leave LA this season for sure. I don't know anybody that like thinks that's a thing is 
needs help. Um, but like, do you do you sense frustration on his part with more the personnel around him, or do you think it's more about an issue with Ham, where he doesn't trust Ham to like deploy the talent that the Lakers do have at their disposal optimally, consistently? Because like even you know playing a Knicks team yesterday that's pretty beat up, like I, I thought defensively anyway that next team is still capable of like and they were they were they were fine last night i don't think the defense was really the issue um but like do you i thought the lakers acquitted themselves in terms of just like being able to get good shots pretty consistently um they, they only turned the ball over what was it three times i think maybe in the game so like they, they've and they cleaned up the turnovers against boston as well who's also a really good defense um do you feel like I guess again, outside looking in, because I'm not watching, not locked in the Lakers every day. Have you guys seen stretches like this earlier in the season where it's like you find a group that's working, um, things that are working, and then for some reason, it, 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 like at the first sign of any type of struggle, Ham goes in some wild direction, or does he just change inexplicably? Like, oh, I'm gonna, you know what, this is working, but I want to try this thing today. Um, like, like, what would you say? I guess if you were LeBron, like if you do have concerns about the coaching staff, I guess, what are they specifically? Yeah, great question. Ham this year has been pretty – he's been stable enough from a rotation standpoint. Like, he'll try a group. He'll give them real time to try to prove that they can work. And then if they need to pivot, they'll pivot. I don't think he's made the right decisions with a lot of that. Um, I don't – like – and so a lot of, I mean, just, just the, the lineups, the starting lineup, the closing lineups, some of the groupings that they're throwing out there just like, don't make all that much sense. Um, that's something that bothers me. I would imagine it bothers LeBron. Uh, something that bothers me is like, you know, we've got an off screen shooter in Torian Prince for the first like quarter of the season. He wasn't being used in plays that give him those opportunities. So he was less impactful. He got fewer threes up. He was the worst player because of it. Max Christie, really good off like off ball spot up guy attacking closeouts, catching and shooting threes. He is a horrendous pick and roll ball handler and handoff guy at this point in his career should never be isolating. And yet they had him in lineups where he was needing to do way too much. So he looked like crap. Um, Christian Wood, Jackson Hayes, not drop coverage guys. They were using them in drop coverage. They looked like crap. So just like a lot of like not using the tools you have the way that they're intended to be used made a lot of individual players not perform well. And then from an X's and O's standpoint, that inconsistency where like we went from, you know, calling plays 55, 60% of the time to then being in the low 40s randomly for really no reason. There was no evidence saying it's better for us. Like that sort of back and forth is annoying to me. Again, I don't know if LeBron is noticing that as much, but I think the lineups piece is probably what's most annoying for him. And the general frustration on his end is likely driven by the fact that like, He's, he's getting old. Like he is, he's getting worse. He's getting older. He is no longer in the top 20 of our O LeBron offensive impact metric for the first time ever. Um, he's perennially top 10. And right now he's just outside the top 20. He defensively is in a defensive role where his job is basically like, you only need to rotate. You don't need to guard anybody on ball. I actually did a really nice job last night um, when he was needing to guard on ball, but he's been one of the least active rotating defenders in that job that really your, your job is to rotate. And so like th that hurts the team. He's getting worse in different ways. And I'm sure he doesn't want to waste 
you know, the last season or two, he has that, you know, he might realistically have a chance to compete for a title if the coaching staff is like screwing around and trying to throw lineups out there where like you don't have a ball handler um, or like really just really dumb usage of players or forgetting to call plays. So like, I don't know exactly what is bothering him, but the general sentiment is he's frustrated with ham. A lot of players are frustrated with ham. I went through on my pod a couple of weeks ago with my co-host. We went through every single player and almost every guy would have some reason to be pissed at ham this year, either because <laughs> the job that they've had to do isn't what they're good at or their rotation minutes have been really wonky and nonsensical. Um, so like it's, it's a tricky situation. Expectations were very high and results haven't been there. And so that's just like, you know, people will be upset and, I think they've, you know, credit to them. They've kept guys engaged and guys who have been benched for like two, three weeks come back and are ready to go and they're able to contribute. And Jackson Hayes, now he's being used correctly. He looks great. Max Christie, now that he's being used right, he looks great. Um, So it's probably rotations, if I'm guessing what LeBron's most annoyed at. But that's more, there's way more going on than just that, that like I'm annoyed at. But I, I would imagine a lot of people aren't paying as much attention to. So I want to stick with this because this is pretty interesting to me because this is like some of what you're talking about is the front office, any front office. This is not just unique to the Lakers. Like any front office can go out and have the idea of like, wow, we really love. Like, I'll, I'll give an example for the, for the Knicks. Wow. We really love Isaiah Hartenstein. We like the versatility. He gives us something, you know, he can pass out of the high post. Like he can do these things that Mitch can't do. Right. So even though he can't shoot, he opens up the floor for us in XYZ ways. Um, this is great. This is why we added him. So excited to have you on board, Isaiah. Great. Harnstein comes in. For the first like two or three months of last season, you see him being used ex- like it, he's being used like he is Mitchell Robinson. Right. It's like, no, set the screen, roll to the rim. Set the screen, roll to the rim. Set the screen, roll to the rim. Um, there's not like any real kind of adaptation from the coaching staff tips his end to adjust to Hartenstein. That changes over the course of time. Now Hartenstein is a very valuable piece of the Knicks. He's also adapted to playing exclusively drop coverage most of the time and XYZ things, right? So now you're getting a much better version of the player. The player you expected to sign has now uh, come to fruition after, you know, midway through last season, which is fantastic. So I, I guess what my, like to, to kind of like go back at this, cause I think it's a really interesting one. You know, a guy you're familiar with on your roster who was absent, unfortunately, for the Knicks yesterday, Cam Reddish. Um, he was acquired by the Knicks a couple of years ago before the trade deadline. And it was pretty obvious from day one that Tibbs did not value him, did not want him, didn't really have a role for him. You know, we can go on and on. And that played out very poorly. And on top of that, the summer prior, they had signed a guy like Kemba and they had signed Evan Fournier. And these guys, just like whatever their skills and talents are, and obviously in Kemba's case, very, very diminished at that point to the point that he's not even in the league anymore. Uh, and Evan Fournier is soon behind him, likely. Uh, but like these guys can't execute the things that Tibbs wants them to be able to execute. Now, does that mean that Tibbs should just be like, like to your point of like if Max Christie can't run pick and rolls as a coach, yeah, you can, you can want him to do it, but if he can't do it, then you don't use him in that way to do it. And I I guess where I wonder is like, 
so since this Cam Reddish and Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker kind of like sequence of of personnel moves, the Knicks have done, and this front office has done a much better job of getting guys who very clearly like, yes, they might, yeah, like the, I think they all fit the bill of guys that the front office and and the stat nerds like would like for whatever reasons, but they also fit an idea and and kind of like the vision of if Tom Thibodeau was your coach and you're and you're cool with Tom Thibodeau as your coach, these are guys that fit into things that Tom Thibodeau would ask for them, would want from them. And I think the OG trade, and honestly getting Precious too, I I, I, I know LeBron is LeBron, he's going to do LeBron things. I thought Precious did a, as good a job on LeBron as you could reasonably ask a guy like Precious to do yesterday. He's been very good for the Knicks on defense since he came in. Um, but obviously you get OG. So now you have, you've made these moves, you've reshaped your roster even more, you know, you bring in Dante last summer where these guys kind of fit into a cleaner, like the, a cleaner vision of what your coach wants to do as well. So when you talk about a guy like Christian Wood, okay, whatever he is good at, not good at, he's not going to drop coverage. So as a coach, you, you can do one of two things, right? You can ask him to consistently, you can be like, well, you need to get better drop coverage or you adapt a little bit and, and, allow him to run coverages that he's better at. Um, the Knicks have seen this with Jericho Sims. Like they have Jericho Sims play drop all the time at center and he's terrible in drop. Like the thing he's actually good at is he's very mobile for a big guy. So you'd like to see him be in more aggressive coverages, you know, switching, blitzing, trapping, whatever. Um, and I guess I know that was a very long kind of thing, but when you talk about, okay, so, now he's starting to use Max Christie in a way that makes sense. Now he's starting to use Jackson Hayes in a way that makes sense or Christian Wood or whoever. Do you have sympathy for coaches in like, they don't, you know, what was the Bill Parcells line? Like, if you're going to ask me to cook the meal, I, I may as well be allowed to, you know, get the ingredients. Um, like, do you have some sympathy for coaches where maybe Darvin Ham didn't want Christian Wood or Jackson Hayes because they suck at drop, right? And he's trying to make it work. And then after time, he's like, okay, well, it's not going to work. So now I will adjust to the player and we are better. Like, and now, okay, we're getting more out of this player. Okay. Max Christie, I really wanted another pick and roll ball handler or whatever. I'm going to try it out. Doesn't work. Okay. Now I will cater more to the existing strengths. I know he has as a player. Do you think that's just part of coaching and something that like fans and people outside of an organization, um, is that something that we just don't necessarily understand all the time? Or do you feel like coaches are, or a lot of coaches, I don't want to say all, obviously, but that there are a lot of coaches that just are a little bit stubborn about what they want their roster to be versus what it is. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.